T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. Chapter 13 Osgaleon, that was the name of the city Sir Galehout had said. Astra did not think it much a city. Twenty or so derelict structures remained scattered along a single road that ran through the street from east to west. The rest had been overrun with high grass that ran across the rolling hills on either side and grew through the city like weeds. It was not a land of trees, and Astrid had scarcely seen one since leaving the frozen woods. She rode behind the cart that bore Lennox, and watched his armor shake back and forth as the cart dipped and jerked along the stony pathway. Beside her rode Sir Galehout, ever mindful of her comfort and concern for her knight. Has your journey thus far been difficult? He asked. Astrid turned and looked to the knight, but said nothing, then turned her eyes forward once more. Of course it has. What a silly question for me to have asked. But let not your heart be troubled. I will see you safely to Lord Magnus, and there perhaps you will find relief, if only for a time. The night air was cool and the moon shone brightly above, casting its gray silver light upon the ruins of the city. The column did not move fast, but they were relentless in their march stopping only to make repairs to the rear axle of the cart. You should take this time to rest, Gilhout said, turning to Astrid. We have much distance yet before us, and you will not have many chances to sleep in stillness. Astrid nodded and looked to the moon before dismounting. Her heart longed for her wolves, and ached to know of their well-being. All around her the guards' cloaks gleamed grayly in the bounding moonlight. She could not make out their faces, but she knew they were watching, always watching. And not just her. Beneath their helms the blue guards kept a keen eye upon Lennox as well, though he had scarce moved since being placed inside the cart. She reached the ruined steps of one of the collapsed buildings and stopped short, gazing up at a pair of large stone statues that still remained strong upon their pillars. On the left stood a knight kneeling with his sword drawn and set into the earth at an angle. The knight's head hung low so that it rested against the blade, as though he were to behead himself. Across the stairwell stood the second statue, a cloaked figure with a crystal ball resting upon his left palm, while his right hand pointed out in accusation. What peculiar figures, Astrid thought to herself. She looked past them to the tumbled buildings and saw several more statues similar to the ones beside her, still standing at the top of the stairs. Sir Galehout, she called out. The knight seemed surprised to hear his name, but came quickly to the girl. My lady. This building, she said, gesturing to the collapsed structure before them. What was it? Galehout studied the building for a moment, then answered. It was a school, my lady. This whole city was a place of learning. Long ago, of course. What happened to it? They grew arrogant, 
he said matter-of-factly. Now please, try to get some rest. I'm not tired, she said abruptly, before turning to face the knight. Your Lord Magnus, you said he was a sage, yes? I did. And that he watches his lands in his crystal sphere. Gelhout nodded. Can he perceive the future and gaze to the past, or is he limited only to the present? Alas, that is not for me to speak of, my lady, though I would tell you if I could. All you learn from Lord Magnus you will learn yourself, through your own eyes and ears. It is not for me to speak my master's secrets, though few indeed are known to me. There was another in our party. Can Lord Magnus find him for us? Though I did not like the man, we have traveled with him long, and I wish to know his outcome, alive or not. Sir Galehout only smiled, though he looked sad to Astrid. My lady, forgive this poor soul, but I will not speak of my master's power. At least tell me what business he has with us, she said. You have been polite, but let's not pretend we are here by choice. Sir Lennox and I are your prisoners, though you will not say the word. My lady, you have many questions, yes. Yes, I can comprehend why. But I have no answers to give you, save to say Lord Magnus has business with you, and I will take you to him. I know it is not what you wanted to hear, but it is what I will say. Now please, try to get some rest. I will not, Astrid replied, but I will eat some food. Gilhout nodded. Of course, I'll have some sent right away. He turned and left quickly, leaving Astrid alone beside the statues. Not long after, a guard brought her some food, which she ate alone as she watched the men go about fixing the cart. Sir Gelhout was among them helping lift when the time came. He was everything a knight ought to be, she thought. Yet why was she so wary of the man? He did not appear to be trying to frighten her. There was never a touch of anger in his eyes, nor a hint of deceit. So then why? What troubled her so? She did not know and was greatly vexed. Soon after the repairs were complete, the company went on, passing through the expired city and back out along the winding road of the low hills. They had not gone far before Astrid looked back upon the city once more. Dark yawned the archway of the gate that stood ruined beneath the cold moonlight. Behind it lay a sad decay of shattered stone brought upon by arrogance if Galehout was to be believed, and she found no reason not to. But whose arrogance, she pondered, and thought of the queer statues she had seen inside the city. They rode long into the morning, stopping for neither food nor rest as Galehout had promised. He apologized several times, commenting that they had had little warning of her arrival and were unable to attain a better means of transportation for Lennox. 
but Astrid would only stare at him coolly. The sky was a clear blue, bright and warm, and the road ahead was long, winding before them rough and broken between rolling hills of dying heather. Long ago it must have been a marvelous road, matching even the great roads of the north, or perhaps even greater. In places there were ruined statues along the path, remnants of the great works of stone like the ones inside the city of Osgaleon. More of these bizarre statues, Astrid thought. Most were beyond recognition, but the ones that remained stood out in stark contrast to one another. They were gruesome things in truth, mostly of grim knights in the act of sacrificing themselves in some way, either by removing their head or falling upon their swords. Every so often they would change, and it would be another cloaked figure holding either a crystal sphere or a large tome. Many of the faces were hidden deep inside the stone, but a few had their cloaks thrown back to show a face of fair and pure stature. Astrid had not intended to remark upon the statues, but found herself inquiring about their meaning. She could feel Sir Galehout watching her, but when she turned he looked away, and she saw not his face. He was gazing towards the statues and had a glint in his eye, something old, a memory of long ago perhaps. At last he spoke. They speak of the making of the city, he began. After a long war to the west, where many died needlessly, Simon Magnus, the first of his name, moved his people to this new land and ordered his people to give up the sword and take upon themselves enlightenment, for he had seen what the sword promised, and wished to free himself and his people of its grasp. Without knights, how did the kingdom defend itself? Oh, there were still knights, my lady. There will always be knights. But as time trod on and peace ruled the land, they were dismissed and never replaced. You see, it was the belief of Lord Magnus that should an enemy invade, both the wizards and sorcerers of the city, trained with patience and great knowledge, would rise in defense, using their power earned through due diligence. And he was right, of course. The great wizards and learned men of the city were more than a match for any enemy. But as with all, their desire for power did not end there, and in the end it was their undoing. They grew arrogant, and in their hearts they wanted more, and dived deep into magic that should not have been practiced. A magic was discovered that offered great power to the user, but at much cost, driving the city into madness. I do not understand, Astrid said softly. What happened to the city? No one knows precisely, my lady. A great fire fell upon the people, and the earth shook with a wrath never felt in these lands before. House Magnus would have perished had the Lord not been away for a hunt. Sir Galehout stopped suddenly in the middle of the road, and so too did Astrid. She waited patiently for the night to continue. Having seen the city fall, Lord Magnus fell into despair, and there he would have stayed had his queen not pulled him free. They gathered all who survived and moved east to rebuild, vowing never to forget the sorrows of Osgaleon. They crafted these statues, mirroring the ones in the lost city 
and placed them along the road as a reminder. A reminder of what? That knowledge alone cannot save us, Galehout answered, and kicked his horse forward once more. And so ends the tale of Osgaleon, a once beautiful city in song and story. Now come, let us not fall behind. They pressed on, watching as a cluster of thick clouds blew in from the north, blotting out the sun, and by dark, not a star could be seen. Astrid thought their pace might drop, but soon the guards lit torches and pressed them together to spread the light until the whole company except her rode forth, with reins in one hand and torches in another. From a distance, they appeared as though a string of fireflies bouncing along the surface of the earth. Astrid was surprised just how quickly they managed to ride, despite how dark it was. She would have thought it foolish had the road not improved the further east they traveled, so that the cart hardly shook at all as its wheels turned atop the flattened stone. They kept a strong pace for some time. The land was gentle enough to let them, with rolling hills and terraced fields interspersed with meadows of flowers and trees. Astrid wished it was day, that she might better see the land they rode through, for it had changed much since leaving Osgaleon, except for the statues that were placed every five leagues or so. The night was quiet except for the soft burning of fire and the occasional creak of the wagon. Against her will, Astrid found herself growing tired. One could only go so far before weariness took its toll. She would have nodded off had a voice not called out suddenly from among the men. Riders approach, the voice said. All at once the column stopped. She gazed out but saw nothing outside the glow of the torches. Yet in the distance the clip-clap of the horse's hooves echoed along the road before them. Who would ride without torch in the middle of the night? It was strange enough for her own party to be traveling. The mystery puzzled her, and she waited eagerly for the answer to reveal itself. Out from the darkness two figures emerged, silhouettes at first, hardly recognizable. But slowly their shapes took on light, revealing the pair. One was a knight dressed in silver armor from head to toe, and carrying a lance like the ones used in tourneys at his side. The other was a sorceress, draped in a black cloak with silver lace that hid her face and hung well past her feet so that it dragged on the ground behind her as she rode. And out from her came a shadow that swallowed light, drowning her even more in the darkness of the night. Above the riders, a pair of ravens circled high, calling out with quarks and ruckus shrieks. As the riders approached, the two birds descended and placed themselves upon the shoulders of the sorceress. Then the knight spoke. Hail, Sir Gerhout, how fares thee? This most sweet darkness. Ah, Sir Grimmond, Lady Gwyn. Very well, thank you, he said loudly, in a pleased manner. I would not have thought to come across you this night. What brings you out so far across the western road? By the word of Lord Magnus, Grimmond answered. It appears that pesky cat has been seen traveling our lands besides the forest. We have been sent to catch him, if we can. 
He is elusive, that one. But tonight is a good night for a hunt. Perhaps with Gwyn's help, you may finally catch the tramp. I have had little success in my attempts. Perhaps, Grimmond answered, and turned to look at the sorceress. It will be curious to see how the old tomcat matches up to Gwyn. I've never seen her match yet, but oh, that cat has his tricks. The sorceress spoke then. From deep within her robes, her soft voice echoed. Her words were strange, though, and seemed to twist and turn so that Astrid could not understand them. When the sorceress finished, Grimmon sat silent, but Galehout was laughing softly. It appeared any words the sorceress said were not meant for her ears. That's true enough, Galehout answered. Yet you have not come across this creature before. You may well regret those words, my lady. This time Gwen did not reply, and instead one of her ravens quarked loudly upon her shoulder before flying up into the air. It was quickly joined by its twin, and with that the sorceress went forward, pressing her horse back into a slow trot. She turned her head slightly as she passed, and deep within the hood Astrid saw two green eyes like glowing emeralds look her coolly up and down. Then she was gone. Tell we meet again, Grimmon said, and followed after, nodding gently towards Astrid as he passed. A fine fellow, Grimmond is. It was unfair of Gwyn to jest at him so. Though it was good for him, I believe. Good for the heart to laugh at oneself from time to time. I could not understand her words, was all Astrid replied. Oh, well, Gwyn is a quiet girl, somewhat guarded at times. It would do well for her to open up, if only a little. I think they make a good pair. They pressed on then. Galehout never revealed what Gwyn had said, leaving Astrid to wonder, though she cared little and soon forgot about the two companions. The morning sun peaked the sky, casting its rays on the company as they rode forth. With the light came a renewed vigor, and Astrid found she was no longer tired. She turned to Lennox, wondering when he might finally rise from his living dream he now traveled. She thought of the forest and of the crows that had surrounded them. Lennox had been frightened of them for some reason, truly alarmed, else he would not have reacted so strongly. His magic had been terrifying. Even the memory of it made her shudder. His power was deep, deeper than she ever thought. She had never seen his equal. The path went ever forth, winding through the shallow hills and gentle streams. Soon the clouds above grew dark and the rains came and went, but there was still blue sky to be seen, though the waters ran high. Galehout had said they were drawing near, but Astrid saw no signs of Lord Magnus's stronghold a single tower that pierced the sky like a mighty javelin, he had said. Such a structure should be visible for miles, she thought. Yet before her lay only a single stone road, untraveled except by Astrid and her escort. Every so often the road would split off, and Galehout would point, telling her of the cities that lay north or south. But the lands of Lord Magnus were vast, and she saw no signs of the cities named by the knight. 
They stopped for repairs when another axle broke, and this time Astrid was able to get some sleep in the shade of a small pepper tree that grew not far from the road. She had been escorted by two guards, but was left to herself when she neared the tree. She was wakened by a mighty gust that crept along the fields and blew greatly at the tree before passing. By then the cart was nearly fixed, and she was escorted back to the column. It rained again that afternoon, and long into evening. The torches were lit once more, their burning flames hissed against the droplets of rain that fell on them like a slow haze. Astrid pulled the hood of her cloak tight, hoping to stave off some of the rain, but it wasn't long before the cloak hung sodden upon her shoulders. The men before her were no better off, and only Galehout seemed unaffected as the little droplets rattled softly upon his armor. Suddenly, it grew very cold, colder than it should have been, so that Astrid could see her breath before her. Then the warmth of the air returned, and lightning flashed in the distance. And that is when she saw it, a black tower of wondrous shape, riven from the bones of the earth and hoisted high into the air. An isle of stone it was, dark and gleaming as the storm raged about it. Three wharfs of double-sided stone were shaped into one, and near the top the entire tower twisted slightly, then stopped at a point. They were close now to the tower, unimaginably close, as though the entire fortress had appeared before them by magic. For that is what Astrid suspected. There could be no other explanation. A spell of concealment had been lifted, or passed through. She thought of the chill cold and wondered, but could not be certain. Lohalien, cried Galehout. We stand before a pillar of righteousness, the stronghold of Lord Magnus. Alas, that we should come upon it in the night, during a storm no less. Gilhout sighed, shaking his head as if some memory stirred in him. You cannot see all of its might until you see it by the light of the sun. Lohalien, said Astrid, gazing upward. Fret not, Sir Galehout. The tower's majesty is not lost to the night. No, its magnificence could not vanish so easily. <laughs> Too true. Yet something troubles you. Tell me. I see it clearly upon your face. Astrid stopped, sitting irresolute upon her horse, her eyes ever resting upon the tower. She turned to Galehout. Must we go forth tonight? Can we not wait till morning? Why ask for time now? What troubles you? Long have I waited for Lennox to waken, though my heart grows heavy the longer he walks in his dreams. I thought he would be beside me when we met with Lord Magnus, but now that does not seem likely, and I hope one night might make the difference. My lady, alas that I have rendered to you so poorly, the wishes of my master, said Galehout. Lord Magnus knows of your misfortune and seeks to give you aid. He will lead your knight to the waking world once more. Such power lies within him, and I have leave to tell you this. Then lead on, said Astrid. Though I would have preferred to come upon this tower in the light of day, it is a dark tower, cold and barren, and it frightens me. Do not be frightened. Only the wicked need fear the tower, and even they can be forgiven.
They had not gone far before the column of men that had escorted them broke off without word and followed a lesser road south. Galehout and Astrid pressed on. Following behind the cart where Lennox rested, pulled forth by a pair of horses. Further ahead, a second pair could be seen riding along the road towards them. From a distance, the pair mirrored Sir Grimmond and Lady Gwynne. But as the two approached, it was apparent that the sorcerer was a man plainly seen, with his hood thrown back despite the rain of the night. Like Sir Grimmond and Lady Gwynne, the pair journeyed without light and rode swiftly to meet them. When the pair neared, the knight halted, and the sorcerer trotted up to them alone. My lady, he said with a bow, our business is urgent, so forgive me if I forgo certain etiquettes. Regrettably, Sir Galehout is needed elsewhere, and must depart immediately. So it is left to me to accompany you to Lohalien. For a brief moment all were quiet, and a righteous sadness fell upon Sir Galehout regretting that he could not see the lady to the tower as promised. He turned toward Astrid and feigned a smile. It appears I have been replaced. Forgive me. It is not of my choosing. The little choice remains in the will of a knight who serves true. I do not hold you in error, Sir Galehout. You would have taken me safely to the doors of Lohalian. I do not doubt. And only duty turned you away now. I find no fault in you she said softly, though in her heart she was sad to see him go. He frightened her, true, but she felt some sort of comfort as she sat beside him, and did not wish to lose that as well. Something seems to be bothering you, he said softly. Please, tell me. I do not wish to leave while sorrow envelops you. It is only, she started to say, that I shall miss your company, I think. Galehout seemed both surprised and gladdened by her words, and went to speak but stopped, and instead smiled and bowed his head gently. Farewell, my lady. He turned his attention towards the sorcerer. Vasily, see that she finds comfort in the halls of Lahalian. I will do what I can, Galehout. Now go. Sir Vantamir will explain all. And with that the silver knight that had remained back kicked his horse forward, as if called and began making his way west. With a final look toward Astrid and the Golden Knight, Sir Gelhout turned and was off. Such is the way of obligation, Vasily said aloud. But if the words were meant for her, Astrid could not say. In the distance she saw two torches ignite as the riders dwindled into darkness. Her heart fell with their fading lights, and she turned to face the sorcerer. Near the great towers lightning flashed, but the rain had stopped where they stood, leaving only cold gusts of wind that pushed into her sodden cloak and up against her skin. He sat looking at her for some time, the sorcerer. As with Lady Gwyn, his black cloak was trimmed with silver and fell long past his feet, so that it now lay upon the wet road in shallow puddles of water that flashed white with the lightning. Hmm, let's have a better look at you, shall we? He said and produced from his cloak a small lamp of dark metal that put forth a slender silver beam. He held it up, looking at Astrid's face and then turning it so that it shined upon Lennox. Then he shut off the light and held it out for Astrid to take. So that you might see, he said, as she took it. Welcome, my lady, to Lohalien. 
I thank you, she said with a nod. You have entered into the inner realm of Lord Magnus. Watch closely your thoughts, and do not wander, and ask not about the secrets of this kingdom. Few indeed have stood inside the stony hall, be it friend or foe. I have given you this lamp that you might see, for once we reach the tower, all light will be stolen from you, save that which is put forth from this lamp. This shall be until you have been judged by the Lord. He will judge you to hold or aid you as he will. This did not sit well with Astrid. I am neither spy nor beggar, and did not come upon your lands by choice. Why, then, am I to be judged? I have done no evil to you or your master. Of that I have no doubt, said Vasily. But to stand before Lord Magnus is to be judged, as it is when standing before any lord while in his kingdom. But fret not. Few have been called before the lord, only to be cast aside. Lord Magnus wishes to help you, but first you must stand before him. Astrid was hesitant. She looked at the metal lamp and then to Lennox. And what of Lennox? Is he to be judged as well? Vasily nodded. But he cannot speak should the need arise. It matters not, said Vasily sternly. You speak as if to delay what is inescapable. Galehout has brought you this far, and I will see you to the finish. You cannot turn back. All that is left is to continue on. Suddenly, the cart that held Lennox pitched forward. Vasily remained immobile, his eyes set upon Astrid. He watched as she uncovered the lamp and held it up before her. When she had passed, he turned his steed and rode quickly to her side, though they did not speak. And the only sound to be heard was the distant roar of thunder and the clip-clap of the horse's hooves upon the stony path. Since passing through the spell of concealment, a strange feeling had come upon Astrid, and it grew inside her as she rode. It seemed to her that she was being watched, though she saw no one except Vasily and the man who drove the cart. Sir Galehout had spoken of Lord Magnus in his sight. It could be nothing else, she decided. Steadily the tower grew as they approached. The flashes of lightning ceased, and the dark clouds rolled southward so that the sea of stars shone clearly above. They followed the road to the base of Lahalian, but stopped well short of the entrance as stairs encircled the tower and spiraled out in one unending step, up to the three entrances that opened upon the corners of the tower. At the base of the spiral, a host of men stood waiting their arrival. A low horn announced their coming, a single call, blown by a guard through the swirling husk of a boar, and then silence. The two men stood holding a slim plank of wood that they placed Lennox upon as Astrid dismounted. Her horse was led away, but she stood a moment lost in wonder. Astrid had grown up in the north, where strong castles were numerous, each one a fortress for the mighty. Yet as she gazed upon Lohalian, she felt as though she were looking through a high window upon an ancient tomb. The black stone shimmered in many colors, yet remained a perfect darkness, and not a single blemish or mar could be seen upon its surface. She turned and saw that Vasily was standing beside her, he was looking at her with questioning eyes, and for reasons unknown she felt compelled to speak. I feel as though I've stepped into a dream, if you take my meaning. He smiled, knowing well of what she spoke. You feel the presence of Lord Magnus. 
he has taken notice of you both, and is curious as to what he may uncover. Vasily stretched out his hand. I shall leave you now. There will be no light save your lamp, which will light the way before us. Astrid took his hand and followed beside him, stepping lightly up the steps. Slowly the light around them grew dim, so that before them only the slightest silhouette of Lennox could be seen, and by the time they reached the door, they were alone in the dark, seeing nothing but what the lamp shone before them. The strength of the enchantment left her breathless. No enemy could move upon the tower with such magic in place. Any attack would end in calamity, with an enemy lost to wander in darkness. The silver light from Astrid's lamp exposed the door before them, and a moment later Vasily revealed a key cut from stone and placed it in the lock and turned. The door swung inward, and they passed through unchallenged. Before them lay an open chamber both long and wide, with a ceiling rising up until the silver beam could not sustain. Vasily led her through the hall. The ground was soft and Astrid tipped her lamp so that she might see the floor, and found that it was covered in loose fabric from end to end, so that no stone or marble could be seen. Indeed, no guard or folk of any kind could be seen, but voices were heard all about them as they moved through the hall. They went along a narrow path, reaching a set of stairs, and began to climb. Up and up they went until they had gone very high, and they climbed no longer, but went forth into another great hall much like the one below, except that hanging from the ceiling were twelve chains set with silver lamps, similar to the one Astrid carried but bigger. And from each lamp poured light like a stream of liquid silver into pools of mercury, Black cloth hung strewn across the walls in waves, and covered the floor in piles that lay bunched together in great heaps, in no apparent order, so that the entire hall was covered, and no signs of stone or wood could be seen, nor any art or any decoration, nor furniture of any kind. We stand before the heart of Lohalian, said Vasily. I must depart, but do not fret. Lord Magnus awaits you, as does your golden knight. She watched him go and turned back to look upon the great hall. As she moved forward, she passed between the waterfalls of light and wished in her heart to run her hand through the liquid, but kept her hands by her side and tossed aside her childish thoughts. She would not be caught by wonder, not when Lennox lay unconscious and unwell. It was then that she came upon Lennox's body. He lay prone upon a slab of stone, and beside the golden knight sat a crystal ball seated in the palm of a giant statue that stood upon one knee with his head bowed low. The crystal sphere was perfectly smooth, too large by far to be lifted by men, inviolable and unmarred by the passage of time. It was then that she saw a shadow of a giant walking through the sprawling light of the lamps, draped in black with the hood falling well past his face. Lord Magnus approached. Every step he took was meticulous, his body swayed slightly so that he walked upon angles, turning this way and that as to avoid the streams of silver from the lamps above. Silently, she watched him approach, and while she felt no malevolence from him, her heart raced and she found her hand resting upon the pommel of her sword. Foolish, she knew. She almost laughed, and a smile touched her lips. Her expression did not escape the lord. He paused looking from Astrid to the knight, and then back to Astrid. 
He was a towering figure, near three meters, Astrid guessed, and when he looked upon her a second time, she caught a glimpse of his face and gasped, for his eyes were like starlight, and in them was knowledge like deep wells. He turned away then, perhaps wishing to spare the girl some tragedy, and spoke. Come hither, child, and stretch forth thy hand that I may look upon it. His voice was clear but remote, as though a great distance divided them. Astra did as she was bid, and reached her hand out before her. In a grand sweeping motion he descended, taking to one knee and pushing his head forward to look upon her. He reached out, pulling back her sleeve and taking her hand into his own, though that too was wrapped in cloth and unseen. Outstanding. The girl oracle has grown indeed. He spoke the words with great delight, and released Astrid's hand with a slight bow. Her spells are as fire in fields of dark. I perceived her work the moment thou entered upon my kingdom. But thou art not a true disciple. Why then is her touch upon thee? Beneath the gaze of his starlight eyes she faltered, unsure of what to say. Yet she could not leave the Lord's question unanswered. I do not know, she said at last, and then was quiet. Lord Magnus said no word, but turned and beckoned for Astrid to follow. He walked before her, leading her around the altar to stand before the Golden Knight. Turning towards the crystal ball, he raised his hand, and the sphere lifted slightly in place. Here is the sphere of Lahalian, my elusive eye, he said. I called thee here, so thou might gaze with me, if thy has the metal. All about them the lights grew dim, the air chill, and standing beside her, Lord Magnus was dark and tall. He stepped back so that Astrid might approach the sphere. What would you have me see? she asked. From deep in his cloak, Astrid felt as though Lord Magnus was smiling at her. We shall traverse the living dreams of one who would see the end of an age. But we walk through a world unbidden, and even I cannot say what we shall find. Is it dangerous? Not with me beside thee. Astrid gazed upon Lennox, her face heavy with uncertainty and fear. Dear child, said Magnus softly, a dark and arduous test lies before thee. And if thee cannot stand before a dream, how then will thee succeed in the wake of the living world? Astrid felt the question unfair, but she did not believe he meant it harshly. Instead, she felt as though he was guiding her, urging her to be brave. I'll look, she said, but you must promise me no harm will come to Lennox. Again, she felt his smile. Harm, dear child, thou knowest not who lies before thee. Much more than a man he is. Much more. He turned then to Lennox and leaned down, breathing gently upon the night. Now join me, and we shall see what encumbrances his mind. Placing his hand quietly upon her scalp, he turned her eyes upon the crystal sphere 
and together they fell into the smoky gem. A great howl echoed throughout the palace and along the great hall, a scream that came from the depths of a broken heart. The noise shook Lennox, wrenching him from his solid trance as he stood before a shattered mirror. He toppled backwards, stabbing his great spear into the earth to steady himself. He stood there breathing heavily for a long moment, his lungs grasping for air as his body burned with power. The great outflow seemed to wane, though only for a moment before falling once more upon him. He tightened his grip upon his spear and shield, feeling their influence as they bristled at his fingertips. Helio, my queen, he called out, turning his gaze upon the lone stairway. His work was not finished. He would endure to the end. With all his strength, he steadied his mind and willed his body forward until he stood before the staircase and slowly began his climb. Three times the earth shook as he ascended, but he would not be thrown asunder. Sweat tracked down his face through dirt and blood and ash, and everywhere he looked he saw death and ruin, until at last he reached the peak. The Lord's chamber was wide and tall, not quite as long as the Grand Hall, but near enough. Its white walls presented intricate carvings of the seven jewel cities, and between the cities hung rich tapestries, embroidered with the names of the ruling kings that offered servitude to the four. Near the end of the Lord's chamber stood a dais, and on the dais four carved and smoldering thrones, and seated on the second throne from the left sat Lord Shem. A stolid, slender woman stood at the Lord's feet, draped in red with hair like gold, soft and beautiful to gaze upon. She was tall, the woman, yet even then she barely reached the waist of Shem, who sat like a statue of stone, his head bowed, with his eyes set to the floor. Upon his head sat a kingly crown of spikes, dark and cruel, twisting out into the air in all ways. Lennox waded forward. He tried to look to his queen, but his eyes kept going back to Shem. He dared not look away. At last the great lord spoke, though his mouth moved not, and cold words echoed throughout the room. Hmm. Thou hast come at last, unfaithful retainer. Fret not. I am not angry with thee, though thy actions are heinous indeed, and vile in thought. Thou hast done nothing that cannot be absolved. Speak not, false one. I come not seeking clemency, but to cast you down and learn in truth if you be not deathless. For a moment, Lord Shem made no answer. He was silent, as uncertainty stood before him. Treat me not with discourtesy and disdain, for though thou art but a child, we are much akin, servants of one who would lead us astray. I have shed my yoke, and now thou must follow. I offer thee absolution, and all thy wrongdoings will be forgotten, blotted out in mind and history, so that thy actions need not be remembered, even by thyself. 
Lennox's heart wavered as Lord Shem stood before him, high and frightening before the throne. He spoke no word but lifted his gaze, and behold, his face was shadow and black, his eyes misery and fear, and there was nothing beautiful about him. Lennox recoiled back, both in fear and disgust, and uncertainty fell upon him. Could he end the great lord? Could he smite him to the earth? His hands shook, his legs trembled, but slowly, at the feet of Lord Shem, a great light began to burn, springing forth from the hands of Queen Aelio, and the chains that bound her fell broken upon the floor. She reached out, clutching at the heel of Lord Shem. Do not gaze upon his face, cried the queen, and let his words sway you not, for his time has reached its conclusion. Strike now, finish him. Lord Shem looked down upon the queen in sudden doubt, and drew his blade, which shone like crystal and drove it down upon the queen, piercing her chest and pinning her to the earth. Finish it, the queen said, as the blood pooled around her. Lennox, end it. Her voice boomed upon the stone walls and echoed across the grand hall before dying like a flame blown out by a cold wind. Then Lennox advanced. The golden knight, streaming with magic, raced forward. Lord Shem turned to face him, but the light from Aelio still shone bright so that the shadows upon his face departed, and the likeness of a man shone forth and was enraged. Releasing his sword, he stepped down to meet his foe, and drew forth a second blade that burned red like molten stone. As he withdrew from the queen, the shadows returned and fell upon him like a cloak of darkness, until the entire room grew black. But still Aelio burned bright, and so also the golden knight, though small indeed he seemed, standing before the might of a god. Lord Shem's blade rose from within the shadows. Lennox raised his shield. The blade descended and found its mark, casting sparks and a shrill ring throughout the chamber. The golden knight fell beneath the blow, dropping to one knee before raising his shield for another strike. Finish it! The queen cried out. Ever wishing to please his queen, Lennox drew back his spear, and crying aloud threw it forward with all his might into the shadows. A blinding flash sprang forth, and with a terrible cry the shadows departed, and Lord Shem fell, striking the earth like a beast wreathed in pain, before subsiding, never to move again. A dark mist gathered then, pouring forth from the body of the fallen lord, and spiraling up like a rising smoke. It lingered for a moment, gazing down at its body below. Once again the room began to shake, and a cold wind swept through the hall, and the dark mist was gone. Lennox looked to his queen in great distress, feeling as though his heart had shattered. He ran to her, removing his helm, blinking and wiping at his face with the back of his hand, for tears blinded him, and he wished to look upon his queen unhindered. Taking to one knee, he lifted her hand to feel her warmth, but found it cold to his touch, with all its glorious light faded and gone. Again he cried out, and the earth shook. Already he could feel his power fading, for with his queen gone, her enchantments would diminish, until they were no more. 
He longed to stay by her side, but once more the Lord's chamber shook. He looked up, brushing away his tears and rose. Making his way to the corpse of Lord Shem, he pulled forth his spear. Already its power had lessened, though it still cracked blue and white. How long did he have? Others would come for him, he knew. He must not wait. He did not have long. Sir Gillian would be waiting for him at the Red Tower, and his power too would be fading at the loss of their queen. Already the body of Lord Shem began to weather, shriveling up into a mass of hideous flesh. Wrapping Shem's form within a fallen tapestry, Lennox pulled at the corpse, dragging the Lord's hollow remains away from the resting place of his queen. It was the last kindness he could offer before departing, though he did it with a heavy heart. Unwise to linger in the mind of another, one can lose much and more, said Lord Magnus softly. Deep inside the cloudy crystal sphere, the vision faded. Astrid stumbled backwards, falling into the outstretched arms of Lord Magnus. She was shaking, her eyes fixed upon the empty orb. She watched as it lowered itself until it once again rested upon the hand of the large statue. Then she turned to Lord Magnus. From deep in his hood, his starlight eyes gleamed. She turned away, unable to endure his gaze, and felt herself being lifted up and set back upon her feet. She stepped away, keeping her gaze low as she did. What magic is this? She began. What is it you showed me? What is it we saw? I thought you would help Lennox, help him wake up. I know not what we perceived, he said, for many mysteries have been shown, and I am ever learning. I must consider what we witnessed, lest assumptions bring destruction upon my realm. No more will I speak of it tonight. But where thou art concerned, fear not. Sir Lennox is well. Long has he been idle, and both mind and body have been strained. He dreams now, but in time he will rise, both well and unscathed from harm. When? How long must he rest? The sphere of Luhalian shows me many things, child. Dreams, thoughts, hopes, desires. But his future remains veiled to me. He turned then, taking a moment to look once more upon the golden night. He will rise in his time. Until then, rest. Vasili has prepared for thee a room and will oversee the conveyance of Sir Lennox. He will not be kept from thee. And taking Astrid's hand into his own, Magnus led her through the chamber to the entrance where he left her with Fasili, and disappeared once more into the recesses of his hall. <laughs>